It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk with you for two hours until 11 o'clock this morning with Lauren Tate. I am Steve Kelly. The phone line is open 356-9397. A sunny Saturday in March, 30 degrees right now. A big weekend for Big Ten basketball. A lot to be determined yet in the final weekend, the final game for everybody. Illinois and Iowa tomorrow at 6 o'clock at the State Farm Center. Urbana High School wins a regional for the second time in two years, the first time that's happened in decades. It's Jones is in another Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that. And Stone Creek Golf Course in Urbana may still be alive. Those are some of the headlines that we'll get to this morning with several guests as well. Mr. Tate, how are you? Uh, two, did you say two hours? We're going two hours today? <laughs> we want to go longer? <laughs> I don't know. I think that'd be enough. We could turn the clock ahead and go one hour and do it that way, but we don't turn the clock ahead. We are ahead. chock full again. Man. We've got the Gary Dolphin, the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes, to join us at 9.15. We'll talk some college basketball with Jeff Goodman. He's a national writer, has been for a long time, used to be with ESPN, and he was at the Indiana game the Illinois-Indiana game a week ago. We caught up with him, and we'll have that uh, interview lined up for you at uh, 9.30. Illini baseball coach Dan Hartlib will join us at 9.45 from North Carolina where they lost a ball game to Elon University by a score of 10-6 to yesterday. More on that coming up with Dan Hartlib at 9.45. Kent Brown will join us in the second hour at 10.15 to talk about a lot of things, including this exciting Big Ten weekend finale here as we get set for next week's Big Ten basketball tournament in Indianapolis. We'll also talk with Ken a little bit about the news yesterday of the U of I perhaps getting involved with the operation of Stone Creek Golf Course, which was closed in January. And then uh, Scott Ritchie will join us as well to talk uh, Big Ten basketball. And at 1045, we'll try to catch up with Itch Jones, the newest member to the Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame first baseball coach to be inducted into that hall. Yep, first baseball. He had a heck of a record at SIU, didn't he? He won 738 games in 21 years at SIU, went to the College World Series twice, finished second one time. They came up within a game of winning it. And he had 474 more wins here at Illinois in his career here. Total wins. He also coached for a couple of years at McMurray College. 1,242 total wins coaching baseball at the collegiate level level for Itch Jones. That's still 30th in NCAA history. So we'll catch up with him. He was inducted in St. Louis to the Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame. Mike Pryor, who uh, played baseball and football at Illinois State, was a member of that uh, Hall of Fame class as well in the Missouri Valley Conference. Some other uh, news on the morning here from yesterday's activity. We mentioned the baseball loss to Elon College. We'll have more on that. Illinois softball, softball beat Louisville 2-1. to 
The Illini now 9-9 nine and nine on the season. These games being played in Louisville. The Illini softball team will take on Oakland today. They'll play twice more tomorrow. Big Ten Wrestling Championships getting underway as we speak. They'll be today and tomorrow. The NCAA Championships for Wrestling, March 19th through the 21st in Minneapolis. The Big Ten meet is at Piscataway, New Jersey at Rutgers. High school basketball last night, a 3A Rantoul Regional. Urbana beat Muhammad Seymour 64-48 to to advance in postseason play. First time since 1942 that they've won back-to-back I regionals. That, I'd say that goes back to Judge Fred Green. That's when he played, and he was a great one. So the Tigers win that one over Muhammad Seymour, 64-48. The 3A Bloomington Regional, Lincoln beat Danville. Pretty good ball game there, 60-56. to You it, see Lincoln's record, 31-2. and <laughs> Here's a record that's better for you. Okay. 34-0, Bismarck, Henning, Rossville, Allen. Oh, yeah. 34-0 with a win over Joliet Catholic last night, 53-39 in the Pontiac 2A sectional. And in the 1A Danville-Schlarman sectional, Roanoke-Benson beat Ridgeview 38-32. Another uh, tournament game on the high school level of interest was a 3A regional up in the Chicago area, Morgan Park 87, Tinley Park 44. You attended that ball game. Yeah, I, I watched that one, and you know, I went up to see Miller mostly because Adam Miller is going to be a, a freshman at the University of Illinois next year, and he was um, he was outstanding. I think he... I know that he had at least six dunks in the game. I know he scored in the mid-20s. They took the team out. Steve, that score was 31-6 to early, and it was just a rout. Uh, part of the reason uh, that I wanted to go was to, to see a player on the Tinley Park team, um, 6'8 guard by the name of Curry. Casey. 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 Why do I get that name wrong? A.J. <laughs> okay. Casey is his name. He's 6'8". He's a sophomore, and he's got a ways to go, but, boy, is he a prospect. He's six. Uh, He's 6'8 and, and 195 as a sophomore, and he doesn't look like he's reached full growth. His dad's a big man, and uh, he's going to get bigger. He's going to, and they, Illinois is after him hard. And uh, He was but, here last week for the Indiana Yeah, that's game. right. Yeah. Uh, but this, uh, this Morgan Park team's another contender for the, for the state championship, and Miller, uh, Miller's got a golden jump shot, three-point shot. He's got great range. Comparing him with Io... He he's he's got more uh, he's got more leaping ability. He doesn't nobody I don't think in the country's got uh, Io's ability to go to the hoop fast. Yeah. But this guy can go too, and he's a he's a good dribbler. He's left-handed, but he can go either way. And and he he didn't stand under and dunk. He he was driving. He made six driving dunks, and uh, makes his free throws. I mean, he's a real talent. Illinois very fortunate to get him. He's got a picture-perfect jump shot, though, doesn't he, on, yeah, on the release? It, it is just absolutely perfect. I mean, he's probably as good a jump shooter as you're ever going to get out of high school. He's got a teammate that uh, Illinois is interested in, too, as well. Weston, how did he look? Weston looks extremely good, too. Um, he's about 6'4", 6'5". He listed at 6'5". And he's he probably needs another year of high school, although they're talking about the possibility that he might try to – uh, speed reclassify, it up yeah. and reclassify, but I I don't know how far that's gone, but uh, he's a he's a definite prospect. You know, uh, Illinois got so many offers out right now. I just don't know who can they take. Really seriously, I mean they, they've got they're full up. Now 
I don't know if Jones will be back. I don't know, you know, what other changes will be made in the in the squad. They're losing two seniors that are that are playing, but um, they've already got three guys coming in, and I I don't know, Steve. I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how this is going to work out in the long run. This is going to be a real battle for positions next year because you got the two transfers that are sitting out on the bench this year, plus you got three to four starters back, depending on how you. Uh, Consider Felice. He's been a, he's been a starter the last sure. part of the season. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, so many offers out, and uh, in a related note that we'll talk more about as we move along. You see who is second to Kentucky in basketball recruiting um, cost expenses. Expenses, Illinois probably. Exactly. I mean, Illinois. When you when you recruit out of state, I mean, you go <laughs> what what. What, did Lou Henson have $50,000 for recruiting? I, I, you know, I, he was here a long time, and right. he probably had different numbers, different years, but he was he was way under $100,000, and now that's just a in, uh, pittance. In 2019, this is according to Athletic Director U, mm-hmm. basketball recruiting costs, Illinois second to Kentucky. Illinois spent $809,143. Kentucky was over a million, one million. <laughs> zero seven three nine eight five so there's a lot going on there both well, those they've got another player coming in from the east you know about him uh, they've got a big kid that just landed in mm-hmm. chicago yesterday for an official and, visit and is uh, coming in for an official visit uh, today yep and both kentucky and illinois are the only two schools that spent more on basketball recruiting than football recruiting come on yeah Illinois spent six hundred fifty-eight thousand, according to this athleticdirectoru.com. I thought Kentucky was a football school. <laughs> football. I, I, I guess can, not. I can tell you, football. Even though it's better now, but football at Kentucky was always something to do until basketball started. That's right. Just you know, okay, we play football. We'll go watch them play. And I tell you what, if Illinois gets to be pretty good here, and the way the recruiting is developing, you'll see uh, Illinois fans turn out like like they did back in the early two thousands. Indiana was third on that list. Uh, Texas Tech and LSU round out the top five. That's basketball recruiting spending in 2019. So a lot going on. Now here's what's going on. There's a lot that could happen this weekend. Something like 128 possibilities as far as Big Ten tournament seeding. Did you figure that out on your own? I did not. I I stole that from Scott Ritchie and where he got it, I don't know. But everybody's talking about it. I would it. like to talk to the mathematician that, that figured it out. That's what I'd One like. One of those analytical guys He's sat down with n- nothing else to do on a Friday night or whatever. But uh, we've got f- three games today, four more tomorrow in the Big Ten. The good thing for Illinois is by the time they tip it off, they'll know, they'll know exactly uh, what a win will do and what a loss would do. Today, uh, number 24, Wisconsin, is at Indiana. If you're an Illinois fan, you're rooting for Indiana in that game. Rutgers plays at Purdue at 1 o'clock. That Indiana-Wisconsin uh, game is at 11. And then Penn State is at Northwestern at 3. How do you root for Indiana? How do you do that? Maybe root was too – Maybe <laughs> I, did I say root or pay, uh, pull for? Uh, two different things. Kinda. <laughs> well, now, you told me before the show, and, and, and I asked you this uh, for a reason – you tell me that Iowa has become the most intense rivalry for Illinois in basketball over Indiana. Is I that, think so. I think you're right. 
And you know that that's hard for me to accept because all those years that Bob Knight was there, Indiana was always the biggest rival. Well, that's right? part of, that's part of my reasoning. Bob Knight's not, not there. there. They've changed coaches a few times. Was Bruce Pearl at Iowa once? Was that was he, that right? He was, and he's also a finalist in something else. I was going to mention. He's a finalist in the uh, now of ten semifinalists for the coach I of guess, the year. Semifinalists. Brad Underwood was on that list. Did not make the the cut. Pat Chambers did. He's still on the list for yeah. uh, Penn State. But uh, I think that's definitely a factor. Uh, the recent history uh, is a factor. And Fran McCaffrey. and They're not even handshaking. Uh, right. The, the handshake line got broken up last yeah, time. And we could debate that. I think they're both pretty doggone good rivalries. But I, you asked me that, and I didn't think very long on it, did I? I just kind of well, popped out Iowa. It ta- it's hard for me to, to accept, you know, because of my history when I go back if you go back a long way, it's Illinois, Indiana. Sure. But more recently, it's I think it's Illinois, Iowa, and and I think it it is really uh, s- s- toned down since Knight left. There's just that's all there is to it. It's not the same, and and the coach. Although Sampson, we had problems with him. Uh, remember mm-hmm. when? Mm-hmm. I think we had some recruiting problems with him, didn't we? Eric Gordon. Yep. Comes to mind. That was an ugly day. When, he, when Gordon played over here. Yeah, and he was tweeting during that Indiana-Illinois game I last week. I saw that. <laughs> He's still involved, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Talked about how what he feels about Illinois. What, what the heck? He's the one that uh, that uh, took the money and ran, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know how accurate that is. Well, his dad kind of set things up. It, 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 you're right. That's a bad story. It is, and one that uh, we'll just pass on for going. We've got too much other to talk about. So those three games today. Then tomorrow, Michigan is at Maryland at 11. Maryland's still in the hunt for a piece of the Big Ten championship. Nebraska plays at Minnesota at noon. Ohio State at Michigan State at 3.30. And then Iowa at Illinois at 6 o'clock tomorrow. Ohio State and Michigan State, like so many games, will be dramatically impacted by who gets the first two fouls. Will it be Tillman or will it be Jacob Wesson? Mm-hmm. And that center position is crucial that because Michigan State really doesn't have that next guy. They need to keep Tillman in the game. And, of course, Ohio State can't play without Wesson. I mean, yeah. they, he's just so critical to them because he can take – and then the other thing he can do is he can take Tillman out on the court like he did against Illinois. He can he can move around. Maryland is 13 and 6, Michigan State 13 and 6, Wisconsin 13 and 6, all tied for first. Illinois is in fourth by itself at 12 and 7 going into the weekend. And then uh, three teams, Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa are tied for fifth, all at 11 and 8 records. So the seed scenario for Illinois, they could get a number three seed, more likely as number four if they win, but they could fall to the seventh seed in the Big Ten tournament. What do you think our attendance will be tomorrow? Sold it's out. A, I know it's a sellout, but... <laughs> you, you're talking, gonna, talking, talking talk virus, are you? There was a game played Division Three between John at John Hopkins in Baltimore between Yeshiva University of New York in Manhattan and Worcester Poly in Massachusetts. The score was 102 to 78 in favor of Yeshiva, and uh, that's an Orthodox Jewish school. Which, and that game was played with no fans, because a student at Yeshiva was found to uh, test positive to the coronavirus. So the school was immediately closed, and the hotel in Baltimore that 
the team went to would not accept them. Wow. Canceled their reservation and uh, forced them to find another place, which they did, and they played the game and won, and they'll play again today, again, with, with no, no fans. With no fans, and at the same time, the uh, Revson group, the studio group from the Big Ten, has been ordered to remain in Chicago and not go to Indianapolis, which I find stunning. And also, there was a memo given out by the NBA hierarchy yesterday, last night, in which they advised each team in the NBA to to develop a system and a program whereby they can operate games without fans. Not that they're going to do it, right. but be prepared in case they have to do it. Sounds like some real panic going on here. Got to have a plan, I guess. Nine sixteen, and our plan is to talk more basketball coming up. We'll learn more about the Hawkeyes. You probably know enough, but we'll talk to Gary Dolphin about uh, tomorrow's opponent, that and more coming up on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Stay with us back after this. Moving up on 920, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us, busy Big Ten weekend. Our friend uh, Gary Dolphin is on the line from Iowa City. Gary getting set to head to uh, Champaign-Urbana for that ball game tomorrow, the Big Ten finale, Illinois and the Iowa Hawkeyes, 6 o'clock at State Farm Center. Dolph, how you doing, my friend? Hey. March Madness is upon us, Steve. Good to be on with you, and thanks for calling. I'm going to ask you a question that Lauren asked me before we went on the air. He asked me who I thought at the moment was Illinois' biggest basketball rival. Who would you say is Iowa's biggest basketball rival? I was just talking about this with another radio station on Wednesday, and my first comment was, you know, it's great to have the Illini back you know, playing at a level that we're used to seeing in years past. Uh, I think Brad's a terrific coach, and, and I was happy to see his extension this week. And so when Illinois is uh, present-day Illinois, I, I just love the Iowa-Illinois rival. I really like uh, all of the border battles, whether it's football or basketball. Iowa-Wisconsin has been a knockdown dragout. Iowa-Minnesota is, you know, the longest-standing rival between between the two, well over 200 games, but if uh, if you're asking me, I mean, proximity from Iowa City to Champaign is the closest, uh, really, of any Big Ten university, so I'd, I'd uh, with the exception of maybe Northwestern, but I'd, I'd have to put Iowa, Illinois right near the top. You know, one of the big factors, Dolph, is the fact that over the years, Iowa's gotten a lot of good players from the state of Illinois. I mean, I, that kind of added to the rivalry, don't you think? Going back to Lester no, no and a lot question. of others. Yeah, no question, and, and, you know, obviously Iowa isn't the only school that recruits Illinois, in particular Chicago, but Iowa, Lauren, as you know, had a pretty good run, <clears throat> excuse me, with uh, uh, Peoria area uh, athletes, I think of J.R. Koch and, and a few others from the Morton uh, neighborhood. Um, I, I don't know that uh, they've ever gotten a great player out of the Champaign-Urbana immediate area, but Lute Olson used to live in, in Chicago. I mean, see Ronnie Lester and Keddy Arnold and Kevin Boyle and Craftsison and uh, on and on. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I've, Illinois is just such a great state for high school basketball, number one. But when you've got a metropolis like uh, Chicago and how serious they take high school basketball, particularly in the public league and the Catholic league, then it's uh, it's a wealth of talent. Uh, they've got uh, the younger Euless uh, kid coming next year. 
from Chicago, uh, uh, and, and he, uh, I'm told, is maybe not as good as his brother, who went to Kentucky, but but he's awfully, awfully good. He's having a great year. and So, yeah, you're always going to see uh, Iowa somewhere in, in Illinois recruiting, and if, and if they're not, shame on them. You know, uh, you bring up Lute. You know, he, he really had people fired up around here. You remember the – the foul game <laughs> when uh, we went, we played uh, Arizona, and they had all those. Uh, what was it? Fifty-six free throws, Steve. What was it? The fifty-six number stands out, and it was ridiculous. Everybody fouled out, but uh, loot back in in Iowa, it, it, there were also I don't know what you call run-ins or things being said back and forth. That I just all, all these things over the years have have kind of changed. Used to uh, I've I've said this in my. Younger days, Indiana was always the biggest rival for Illinois, but I think it's swung over to Iowa now. I think it has. And, of course, Bruce Pearl had a lot to do with that, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Dion Thomas, and, and I say, you know, it's always great to run into Dion uh, these days on the broadcast with Brian, but uh, that certainly uh, stoked uh, whatever fire was there into a blazing inferno uh, with the Bruce Pearl uh, story uh, under under Tom Davis. and. Uh, Lute, you know, Lute wasn't uh, immune, uh, whether it's at Arizona or Iowa, to uh, trying to bait the officials. <laughs> uh, every coach does, and you know, Lute had uh, you know the tall, good-looking, uh, athletic uh, body, <laughs> who's a head coach, and and uh, everybody, uh, uh, men and women alike, swooned over who Lute was, and obviously he's a Hall of Fame coach, and uh, you know, still hanging in there in pretty good, pretty good health uh, down in. Uh, down in uh, in Tucson, uh, he, he doesn't come back that often anymore. You know, Gene Cady was at the Purdue game the other night. He, yeah. he made the trip with the team, and uh, it was great talking to Gene. Uh, uh, had got, you know had the chance to play golf with him a few times over the years, and yeah, that was quite an era of Iowa Illinois rivalries. You know, I'll never my first job in radio. I think I told you guys this was in Jacksonville, uh, Illinois, back in the seventies, and uh, and I I knew well who Andy Kaufman was and. Uh, when he, uh, I think it was Andy who threw that one in from half court that that yep. night against, uh, sure against was. Uh, Iowa to, to beat the Hawkeyes uh, at at the last. And there have been some phenomenal battles uh, over time to, you know, uh, knock down dragouts. Like you say, the physicality has been incredible over the years. And you know, I kind of look at this game tomorrow night uh, in similar fashion. There's so much on the line, uh, most notably the double bye, but. To my original point, I just think it's great that uh, Iowa and Illinois are, you know, pretty much on on the same plane, uh, an even keel, uh, the same level, and and hopefully for a long time going forward. Visiting with Gary Dolphin, the Hawkeyes are twenty and ten on the season, eleven and eight in the Big Ten, heading into this final weekend and towards the Big Ten tournament and NCAA tournament. Has this been an up and down ride, a smooth ride? How would you define how the Hawkeyes got to this point, Gary? It's been mostly smooth in my view, Steve. Some people, you know, you never win enough to, in the view of some fans or boosters. But when when you think that uh, they were down two starters to start the Big Ten season and Jordan Bohannon, who's pretty good, as you guys know, and uh, Jack Nungy, who tore an ACL back in uh, early December, uh, a 6'10 shooter, much in the vein of Luca Garza from around the three-point line. And so Jack and Jordan were ready to step in after Tyler Cook and Isaiah Moss left. Uh, you know, I, I vision this team, if they had Tyler Cook back this year, uh, what it might be. And then Isaiah Moss was the real shocker jumping into the transfer portal. And, and he ended up at Kansas, which I get is, isn't a bad, uh, isn't a bad choice. But uh, if the Hawkeyes uh, uh, at the beginning of the year would have had 
who we thought they were going to have, uh, the sky was the limit uh, for these guys. And then, so it, there was a lot of question marks, a lot of bewilderment going into the season. Uh, how would C.J. Frederick uh, come off his redshirt uh, freshman and uh, redshirt year and perform? Uh, how would uh, the uh, grad transfer? Iowa doesn't take many grad transfers, and Bakari Evelyn from Valparaiso has really hit a great stride here the last three weeks of the season. He settled in nicely. So they went from uh, you know four guys at potential starters that aren't there. Uh, two of them will be back next year, of course. Uh, to a bunch of unknowns who, have, and, and obviously nobody saw the kind of year Luca Garza is having. Obviously, that's the X factor. That's the difference maker in Iowa's maybe winning 20 to, to maybe batting 500 on the year. So it's been a fun ride. There's been some ups and downs. The other night, uh, I don't know about Purdue, they just, they've just been a bad matchup for Iowa this year, and and, uh, and the Hawks got whipped both times. But uh, you guys know that's that's the Big Ten this year. Uh, one through 10 or 11 are so strong uh, – uh, and very evenly matched uh, every night, night in, night out. I watched uh, Illinois and Ohio State the other night. Uh, you know, the Illini lead for most of the way on the road, which isn't easy to do, and then uh, the Buckeyes rally back and win. And, and who's playing better than Ohio State right now? Purdue is still very, very uh, uh, capable, in my view, uh, whether or not they make the NCAA tournament. We'll just have to see. But it's not surprising to me that we've got three, four teams uh, stuck at the top trying to figure it out. Dolph, let's talk about Luca Garza in several ways. Number one, I think he's going to be the the player of the year. I think I really believe that. At the same time, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that, Lauren. I think he's uh, he and he's earned it. At the same time, he's not listed on the mock drafts that I see. Is what's going on there? And explain why. Just just talk about Garza and his future and. It, will he be back next year? He's got another year of eligibility. Is he coming back? or And if, if he turns pro, would he be drafted? I, I think he's wrestling with that uh, decision. You know, his dad was a terrific Division One player at Idaho, and uh, he's 6'9". He's working with him, uh, and we'll, we'll help him make that decision. But, but to your first point, uh, he's just a, a bundle of energy and nerves. I mean, he just fights all the time. He's averaging about 35 minutes a game, and, and, and he never takes a minute off. And I think that's uh, that's what scouts love about him. And then when you look at the athletic side, uh, I think he's he's a hard guy to slot into a position. Uh, he certainly uh, he's got all the great moves. Uh, I forget what coach told me one time that you know he's just a great college basketball player. Mm-hmm. Now he can go overseas and make a lot of money, <laughs> but he's not a great jumper. Uh, he's certainly big enough. He, he's physical enough. He's got the shot, but can he create uh, in the NBA? I think that's the big question mark on him, and I think they'll figure that out. I, I'm not saying he isn't a qual- uh, he isn't worthy of an NBA roster, but uh, th- that's the reason why. You know, Brad Lowhouse, who wasn't uh, the physical kind of uh, presence inside, made a living on the three point line at, at six ten, left hander who could shoot and could occasionally get a rebound and. I think Garz is similar that way, but he's got in college. Uh, keep in mind now that uh, teams have run fresh bodies at him all year. They've double teamed him all year, and, and nobody's been able to, to stop him. He's at 25 points a game, 26 points a game in the in, in the uh, in the Big Ten, and uh, he's up there. He passed John Johnson the other night for most points in a single season. Uh, he's threatening uh, Freddie Brown's. Uh, per game average of 27 points a game at Iowa, and that was without the three-point stripe. So he is really in some rare. He went by Don Nelson 
the other day on a career scoring list. He's in some rarefied air. I think he's just a great college player. And is he coming back? You know, the sense I get is that he is coming back because of because of the the traits or the points you make, Lauren. Is that if he is NBA, uh, he's not NBA ready yet. Hello. You guys are? Yeah, yeah we're I'm sorry. Here. I thought we lost you. Go ahead, Steve. Gary, that's going to take uh, kind of wrap things up here. We want to say safe travels to you. Appreciate your time this morning. Look forward to seeing you. It should be a fun atmosphere tomorrow night. Yeah, it really should be, uh, Steve uh, and uh, Lauren. Uh, one of the great atmospheres, really, in all college basketball. And good we'll, to see the place hopping again. We'll uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys. We'll give you a, a fist bump last night. No, no more handshakes, uh, Dolph. No, I of... guess you don't handshake anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I have a Bud Light in my hand, I apologize. <laughs> it won't be at the arena. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you at the arena. Thanks, okay, Gary. Dolph. Take care, guys. You Bye-bye. Bet. Gary Dolphin with us, the uh, play-by-play man for Iowa football and basketball. Got a caller at 932. Steve in Princeton's been hanging on. You're on the air. Steve, go ahead. Yeah, I got a question. I heard the salaries come out for assistant basketball coaches, and I'm a big Jamel Walker family friend of theirs, and I just wondered what was how was his contract handled. And the other name I didn't hear was Jeff Alexander, and I hear he's a possibility for the head job at uh, Western Illinois. And I didn't know if you'd heard anything on those two. Well, I think Alexander's a, a good prospect for a, for a job like that, and I, I hope he gets it. Uh, but they did not extend uh, Walker, so I think when the season's over, probably that'll be the end of his tour here. Okay, because I was really, you know, I know he had some families. He had a child with some difficulties and things like that. And I, I was just hoping that they would stick with him, you know. Yeah, he, he's done a tremendous job here, but uh, as I said, they did not extend his contract. Okay, appreciate that. Yep, mm-hmm. Steve, thanks for the call. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number if you'd like to jump in. We're going to talk some more basketball in just a moment. Have you been by the um, Alani Pella showroom lately? They've got some new products out there, one of which is uh, the Pella Lifestyle Series wood windows and patio doors provide outstanding sound control and energy efficiency at an amazing value. Most of the styles are available with the triple pane glass, which improves energy conservation. With the Pella Lifestyle Series, you can choose the features that fit your budget's unique style. Every project is different. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you'll find the Lifestyle Series of windows and patio doors to complement your home and budget. You can give them a call at 356-6474 in Champaign. They're located at 1001 North Country Fair Drive. The Pella Window Store, Mike Mary, Luke Mary, and uh, the fine staff out there. Open 8 to 5 Monday through Friday, Saturdays by appointment. You can check out the products and learn more about the Pella Window Store online as well. PellaofChampagne.com. 9.34, back with more Pella Sports Talk after this. Welcome back, everybody, to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly here on News Talk 1400 DWS. Our next guest is Jeff Goodman, national basketball writer for Stadium. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good. It was good to see you in uh, Champaign uh, last Sunday for the Indiana game. We could start there, but uh, certainly an interesting uh, week and season, if you will, for Big Ten basketball. And I don't know how much Big Ten basketball you've actually seen in person, but uh, 
Talk a little bit about uh, your stop here for that game, the Indiana-Illinois game. Yeah, I've seen most of the uh, most of the Big Ten teams in person, and I'll be at uh, Michigan State uh, on Sunday for Cassius Winston's uh, senior night, which will be fun. Uh, they play Ohio State. So, listen, the league is, is really good this year. The two best leagues by far to me have been the Big Ten and, and the Big East. And they've not only been the best, uh, but they've been the most fun to cover too because, you know, other than a couple teams at the bottom, you know, mainly Nebraska and Northwestern, uh, every game is, is competitive. Every game you don't know who's going to beat who. And, and there's something on the line for every single game, almost every team, which is fun because not all the leagues are like that. The ACC, for instance, is really down this year after the top three or four. Well, you saw Illinois in a one-point win over Indiana. The Illini then dropped a road decision Thursday night in Columbus. Your thoughts on this Illinois team and what uh, – has transpired in year three under Brad Underwood. Yeah, I mean, they, they finally got some stability. They, they, they've been healthy for the most part, and I think that certainly helped. I mean, especially, you know, this season there's no great teams. We've heard it over and over, and it is true. And I think things like chemistry and health are more important than ever. Uh, you look at a, a James Wiseman, for instance, at Memphis, and, you know, he was uh, he got the NCAA suspension, and then he ended up bailing on the program. And, you know, they go from a team that a lot of people thought had a chance to, to get to a Final Four, and now they're probably not going to make the NCAA tournament. So um, you got to stay healthy. you got to have all your parts. you got to have good chemistry. And then it's going to be matchups, obviously, in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I think when you got a kid like Io who's playing at a high level now, uh, you know, Kofi's been really good for the most part, you know, um, and you've got good pieces around them, you know, whether it's, it's you know, Belize and Griffin and Frazier and, you know, Georgie's starting to get, you know, his game and his confidence back. I, I think it's certainly the equation that you have. You need a high-level point guard to, to win games in March, and, and I think Illinois has got one of the best in the country. Well, Jeff, I want to talk to you. You mentioned, you know, uh, the, the selections coming up, and – how do you how do you uh, justify the net uh, and some of the ratings that they have with, for instance, with uh, Duke so high maybe after some four losses in February? I don't want to go through the list, but there just seems to be some inconsistencies with Arizona, UCLA, and so many. What are your thoughts about the net and how it works in compared to the RPI and and Sagarin, for instance? You know, I just asked Dan Gavitt about this on my podcast, and, and he runs the the NCAA tournament, really. And uh, and I said, are you going to put the, you know, I'm not a big numbers guy. I'm not a big analytics guy like some of these other uh, people. But they all want to know what goes into the net. And, and the NCAA has not released the net and, and, and how, how, it's, uh, how it's put together, the factors and everything like that. So, and, and he said, he goes, we may do it next year, but I think the reason why they didn't in year one was, you know, they were kind of afraid of, of the backlash and how it was going to all work out. And then even in year two, they made a few tweaks uh, after – or they're going to make tweaks next year, he said, likely. They didn't really make any from year to one to two, but they're going to make them uh, next year, and they may end up telling people how the net is put together. But, listen, it's one tool, right? And, and there are 10 selection committee members in there, and they're using different information to, uh, you know, justify their decisions – so, you know, one committee member might have seen the Illini play uh, great 
against Indiana in person. And, and that might stick in their head a little bit more than looking at the numbers. Um, one might not have seen him in person or may have caught a bag. So, you know, it, it's so uh, subjective. And I think people want this one thing that can determine <laughs> how you choose, how you see. It's just not going to be that way. It, it, the human element is in there. And, you know, that's why, again, there's going to be people upset every single year that don't get in, that want to have answers, and there's no clear answer. Well, let me ask you, how do you stand on this whole idea of evaluating November games like March games, for instance, or uh, have, that would be my concern. I mean, they threw out the, the last 10 games a long time ago, but that seemed to me like it made sense to me that how teams stand the last 10 games are a lot more important than how they stand earlier. I guess, but, you know, a game is a game. You know, and, and, and I think in the standings, it's it's the same, right? You look at the NBA, you look at all the other leagues, it's still a game. So yeah. I, I don't think you can you could say that a game in November shouldn't account for as much. I understand that Providence is a different team, completely different team now than they were. I've seen them multiple times than they were when they lost four garbage games back in November and December. But Dan Gabbett also said to me, and I think I hadn't thought about this, he said, listen, if we make November games mean less, big boy teams aren't going to want to play good games against one another in November, December. We want the sport to be relevant in November and December. And if, if, if you, you take away some of the, the meaning of those games and the importance of those games, they're not going to play them anymore. And, and we're going to have, honestly, we're going to have a bunch of bye games and, and then we're going to have conference play. So I, I like it. I think every game should mean exactly the same. Visiting with Jeff Goodman, the national basketball writer for Stadium. You mentioned the strength of the Big Ten with 10 teams likely to make the NCAA tournament field. Is there a, a team in your mind that may be built uh, better than somebody else from the Big Ten to make a long run in the tournament? Did you have a favorite coming out of the Big Ten? Uh, I'll go with Michigan State because I think they have the best coach and the best point guard. And the point guard happens to be a senior. Uh, and they got some other good players, too, obviously, Xavier Tillman. And now Rocket Watch has started to play well, so they don't need quite as much out of Aaron Henry. Uh, but I think they've got enough. And, again, I, I think, you know, this Michigan State team uh, had to deal with a lot, right, the loss of Josh Langford right before the start of the season and obviously what Cassius has gone through um, with his brother passing away and how that's affected him. I mean, you can understand how, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride for him and, you don't know exactly what you're going to get game to game, and you understand that. So I, I think, um, I, I think if you're asking me, you know, gun to my head, who am I picking to go the furthest in, in out of all the Big Ten teams? It would be Michigan State, no question. Gun to your head, who's the Big Ten Coach of the Year? <laughs> Boy, um, that's a good one. I, I you know, I think uh, probably I, I tend to go with guys who overachieve relative to expectations. I know it might not be the right way to do it, uh, but I'm not giving it to Bill Self. I'm not giving it in you know, national coach of the year, and I'll get to Big Ten in a second. I'm not giving it to John Calipari or somebody else, you know, who's projected to be there. So with that said, I, I think I'd probably go with Pat Chambers. And I know they're on a little bit of a slide now, but he's got them firmly entrenched in, in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, year nine to get him to the NCAA tournament, I don't know. It's a, it's a feel-good story for me, but I think Greg Gard's done a great job. Obviously, I think Brad's done a good job. Uh, Mark Turgeon 
Yeah, a lot of guys. Fran McCaffrey, but I, I would go with Pat Tanker. Okay, I'll take you to player of the year, and a guy might be player of the year nationally, and he might not be drafted in the first two rounds of the NBA. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Luca Garza. It's amazing. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I think he'll end up getting drafted in the second round, but you're right. There's no guarantee because, you know, he's more of a back-to-the-basket guy. He's able to step out a little bit this year, and defensively, uh, not his strength. But he, he's the national player of the year, in my opinion, too, because, frankly, Obi Toppin's been great. Marcus Howard, Miles Powell have been great. Uh, you got a kid at Malachi Flynn at San Diego State who's been terrific. But ultimately, nobody has had to go up against better players every single night and do it and produce every single night like Luka Garza's done. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm going with Garza for, for National Player of the Year. Jeff, you were involved, uh, I think, initially in counting the number of transfers. In the last three years, I see your numbers are around 700 per year. If they are able to transfer immediately and be eligible beginning next season, how many beyond 700 will it go? So it's actually up to about 900, Lauren, because of the grad transfers. Okay. So so it's about 700 regular, and then when they put in the grad transfer rule, it's adding almost 200 a year now. So. I think you'll see it go from 900, um, you know, maybe 12, 1300, which is significant. It's significant, and I think, you know, while it's a good rule for the kids, in the for the most part, uh, it, it's not a great rule for college basketball because you're going to have uh, more tampering. The quality of play is not going to be as good because you're going to have so many new guys on every single team, and I think it's going to squeeze out a lot of the, the best mid-major players that have eligibility left are going to be poached by every high major, and in turn, the mid-major guys are going to have to poach the low-major guys, and the low-major guys are going to have to poach the Division twos, and and so forth. And uh, I just don't think it's great for college basketball, but I understand it from a standpoint of players' rights and why should they have to sit for the year? Why should they have to, you know... The problem was, listen, they they opened the can of worms here um, with this the transfer waivers and allowing a lot of these kids to be able to play right away through through medical uh, issues, family issues, and other issues. So now they can't go back to the way it was, which was everybody sits out for the year. So now they're going to move forward most likely and have this one-time uh, transfer waiver rule where you, you get one shot at transferring and being able to play right away. Okay, I got one more question. How do you evaluate San Diego State? How do you evaluate Dayton? What do you think is really going to happen when the tournament starts? You know, I've seen those teams in person. I've seen most of the top 25 teams uh, in person this year, so I think I'm educated enough on the fact that to say that, yeah, San Diego State and Dayton are our teams that belong somewhere in the top 10. Um, I'm not sure they're the fifth or fourth best teams in the country. But, but again, it's hard to – you're not comparing apples to apples because, you know, their, their leagues aren't as good, the A-10 and the Mountain West. Both leagues – Mountain West is down this year, and the A-10 might not get another team in the NCAA tournament. So I I understand it's hard. You know, when I look at Illinois compared to those two teams, I say, like, yeah, they could probably go – they probably split 10 games. So why isn't Illinois ranked higher? Well, again, they didn't do as much in the non-conference. That's the biggest problem for Illinois is they've been really good in in league play, but they really didn't have anything on the resume coming out of uh, non-conference. Nationally, who do you like to cut down the nets in the uh, NCAA tournament? 
you know, tough to say without seeing the brackets. Uh, I've liked all along that, that really has fallen off lately, but I'm going to stick with them. It's Oregon. Uh, they've been without their freshman big guy, Nafali Dante, for most of the last, like, 10 games or so. But they've got one of the best coaches in America, Dan Altman, and one of the best players, again, a senior in Peyton Pritchard. That's kind of my, my under-the-radar pick if you want to. Uh, if you want one of those, I mean, I can go with Kansas like most people, uh, but I, I kind of like Oregon to uh, to get it all together here uh, down the stretch. That's Jeff Goodman from Stadium, national basketball writer. We appreciate your time. Always good to talk hoops. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it, and uh, really good to see you guys in Champaign last week. 9.50 is the time right now on Illini Pellis Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Let's talk some Illinois baseball. Illini baseball coach Dan Hartlib on the line with us from North Carolina. Good morning, Dan. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you this morning? Doing good. I want to start, uh, I want to talk about your ball game yesterday and your season thus far, but I want to start with Itch Jones being inducted finally. I'm not I just say it's about time, but he's in so many Hall of Fames anyway. But to the Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame yesterday in St. Louis, get your thoughts on that. Well, as you said, he's a member of about every Hall of Fame you can <laughs> think of dealing with, with baseball and, and uh, the different conferences that he's been involved in. Uh, it, it was a great honor for him, I know, because it was a lifetime achievement uh, honor moving into that Hall of Fame. You know, it's uh, I've been blessed in my lifetime to be around great baseball people, but for my mentor to be someone uh, that, that has had his success, his knowledge, and most of all, um, one of the best people in the world, uh, he and Sue are unbelievable uh, people. They, they've been awesome to both Gene and I, and I learned so much from him on and off the field. So um, I'm so happy for him. Uh, great honor, well-deserved, and uh, – Moving forward, you know, we'll probably have this conversation again. Uh, they're going to retire his number down in Carbondale uh, later in the season. So uh, another honor ahead for him. I haven't done the math, but he's got 1,242 total wins as a college head coach. And you, you've you seen uh, uh, at least probably half or maybe a majority of those yourself. I saw over half of those wins. I was involved in one way or the other from a uh, – player, uh, grad assistant, and then assistant coach. I was fortunate to be with him 19 years. And uh, I, I was, you know, fortunate to see a, a lot of victories and, and learn so much. So uh, it, it was fun, uh, uh, you know, being a part of all those. And, you know, to this day, I still call Itch and uh, ask him things about the game. Uh, we have something going on in the program that, that I need some guidance on or, or to bounce something off of. Uh, I talk to him on a regular basis. So, uh, I was with him 19 years, but the last 15 as a head coach, uh, he's been involved as well as far as, uh, you know, giving me some uh, some some guidance. We're going to talk with Itch Jones coming up in about an hour. Let's just talk to um, Dan Hartlib about your team, 6-5 and five on the season now. You dropped a game down in North Carolina yesterday, 10-6 to six to Elon. You play them again today and again tomorrow. Talk a little bit about that game and uh, your start at 6-5 and five with this ball club. What have you learned so far? Well, we we're we're not consistent at all. Um, we have we have a number of good players. Uh, there, there's some things I really like about the group, and then there's a lot of things that we really need to do to be consistent and to be a good team moving forward. Um, we we 
we are so young in areas that um, we're just not very smart about the game at times. And, and you know, certain things you can't speed up uh, until you know, it's, it's kind of like your, your kids at home. When you when you tell them something, sometimes they don't believe you until they go through that experience or until they make a mistake in that area. And, and we're living some of that right now. Um, but I think we're talented. Uh, there, there have been games that, that we have looked really, really good. And there's then there's some games where it looks like we've never practiced. So it's a little bit of a roller coaster right now. Um, it's a very good group. I enjoy being around them. Um, I enjoy uh, being around them at practice because of their work ethic. And we'll continue to get better and better as we move forward here. Well, Coach, this is Lauren. Uh, talk about uh, yesterday's game. Was this a pitching breakdown or were there uh... – other breakdowns defensively, uh, 10 runs, of course. So you're not going to win many games when you give up 10. Well, it was a combination. Uh, you know, Ty Weber went out the first inning. He really battled. It was a situation where he threw, I think, almost 30 pitches, and they had one hit or foul off. Or, or He fouled off a number of pitches. I think he had like a 12 or 14 pitch at bat. And they got four hits, and – the, the hits uh, were basically ones that either flared over the infield, hit off the handle, or trickled through the infield. And we give up two runs there. Uh, we have a pass ball to give up a third run, so we have a defensive mistake there. And then we had a couple blunders in the outfield later on. Hmm. Uh, I think the thing that was most disappointing, we we were down 3 nothing In the fourth inning, we tied up at 3-3. We go right back out and don't throw strikes and give up two runs. We fight our way back and we take a lead in the sixth, and then we go out and we don't throw strikes. We make a couple blunders and we give up five runs. And so, one of the things that I really look at is, uh, you know, shutdown innings. So you go out and you score, and you have a quick shutdown inning on a defensive and a pitching standpoint. You jump back in there and put pressure on them again uh, from an offensive standpoint. And we weren't able to do that last night. Um, so, again, a number of things we need to clean up, and it, it was a combination uh, of not throwing strikes, uh, not throwing quality strikes then, and uh, a couple times in the outfield there, there are plays that need to be made, made that were not. Well, talk about your shortstop, Camille. He, he must, he, he's having a great start to a season. How good is he? Well, Brandon's a, a player that I think has a high, high ceiling. Uh, he did a great job as a freshman filling in for uh, Massey and Troike when they had injuries. And so he, you know, played uh, probably three quarters of the season and, and started a lot. Uh, very, he was very hard on himself as a freshman. And, and numerous times last year and a couple times this year, I just told him, I said, Brandon, as soon as you believe in yourself as much as I believe in you, you will be a great player. And he's starting to get to the point where, where he really trusts his abilities and uh, you know, he, he can do a little bit of everything. Um, very, very good at the plate, has a little bit of power. Uh, just, you know, a, a guy that's sitting in the three-hole taking very quality at bats, uh, not letting one bat affect the next bat. He, he continues to grow and mature as, as a baseball player. and uh, Great person on top of it. How does he compare with the two players that played short and second last year in terms of his pro prospects? I, I think he's got uh, – you know, pro potential. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure at the next level that, that he's going to be a shortstop. He probably is more of a second baseman, third baseman. Uh, but from an offensive standpoint, as far as uh, power type numbers, um, he, he has more potential 
in that area than either one of our players did last year. And today, uh, talk about the pitching. And uh, what time's the game? One o'clock. Uh, it is one o'clock Central Time. Okay. Uh, we we uh, are playing Elon again. It's a three game series. Uh, we're sending Cole Kirschper, a fresh hand, uh, freshman left hander, to the mound. Uh, Cole's done a great job uh, to this point uh, in in all his outings. Uh, very very calm, collect, cool, collected type uh, demeanor to himself. Uh, he's an 86-88 left-hander with three pitches that he throws for a strike and really, really competes. It has plus command. So you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how he reacts today after we played poorly last night. Uh, you know, you always need somebody on, on those Saturday games that can come out and, and get you back on a winning track. And uh, important game for us, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing again how he, he goes out and reacts today. Good luck today, Dan. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Illinois baseball coach Dan Hartlib with us on Illini Pellow Saturday Sports Talk. That game coming up today at 1 o'clock. You can hear it right here on News Talk 1400 DWS as we approach the top of the hour. We'll have hour number two of Illini Pellow Saturday Sports Talk. We've got an open line segment. You want to talk about the Big Ten basketball race? Anything else that might be on your mind? Feel free to give us a call when we come back. 356-9397 is the number, and we're back after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Moving up on 10.03, phone line is open as we head into hour number two of uh, the program until 11 o'clock. Thanks to uh, Gary Dolphin, Jeff Goodman, Dan Hartlib, our guests so far. Coming up this hour, Kent Brown, Scott Ritchie, and Itch Jones scheduled to join us. Phone line is open, though, if you'd like to jump in, 356-9397. Busy day, Big Ten basketball-wise. Three games today, Wisconsin at Indiana, Rutgers at Purdue, Penn State at Northwestern. And then four more tomorrow. Then uh, tomorrow about 8 o'clock, a little bit after, say 8.30 or so, we'll know the seeding for next week's Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis. And Illinois is, Illinois is in a range of anywhere from 3rd to 7th, depending on what happens. And as we mentioned off the top, they'll have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done. Take care of your own business. Win the game. There'll be a four seed. Prepare for the unexpected. Already in the Missouri Valley, the yeah. top the top three teams have been eliminated. Drake knocked off Northern Iowa. Now the big question is, will Northern Iowa get the you know, get the bid? They lost by twenty they listen to this. They beat Drake by twenty seven a week ago. They lost by twenty one. That's a fifty eight forty eight uh, point turnaround. I mean, is that a, unbelievable? And Anyway, uh, Drake beat Northern Iowa 77-56 yesterday. Bradley beat SIU, eliminated them 64-59. Valpo, this won't be a great run for Loyola. They beat Loyola 74-73, and Missouri State beat Indiana State. So, But I just, uh, the, the loss of Loyola, the loss of SIU, the loss of Northern Iowa, those teams all had hopes to, to win the tournament, and they're out of it. You threw out some numbers there. You've been crunching numbers lately. I was crunching yeah. one. On some news I saw this week that uh, the next time Illinois and Missouri Mm -hmm. will play football, 
and you'll be there. Oh, now wait a minute! Not the next time. They've they've got a they got a schedule. They've got some games scheduled before the thir- the thirties. I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, fo- I follow you now. They extended. Yeah, this year. they extended. Then they're they're going to play the, uh, so, 30, thirty-two so through thirty-five. Where I was going with this was in twenty thirty-two. You'll be there covering that game, and you'll be a hundred years old. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, anyway, you and like I got to bet news against for you. That? I won't be there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you can take some bets on that, and that somebody might take the over on that. <laughs> take the over under on. Whether Lauren will be there to watch that 2032 game. there, they'll be nursing me. <laughs> Some other numbers. I saw that uh, Kedrick Green from the Illinois football team broke your squat record. Uh, he did. Of, uh, he 60, broke my record. I think you had 650 pounds. He, he went 700. 700 pounds in the squat. You know what? That, that's a problem because that alerts the NFL to the fact that this is one strong dude. <laughs> And he is also a very good blocker and a very good football player, particularly good uh, blocker in run game. So I think that uh, there's a – I don't like to bring this up, but I think there's a chance that after his junior year, which will be this coming season, that he might turn pro. You can turn pro after your third year in college, and he's the one candidate that Illinois has had in, in recent years that could go after the third year. Yeah, he's, the, in my opinion, their best offensive lineman. I think so. And by the way, I hear that this spring uh, he'll be out there, but I don't uh, – Polshevsky's not going to be uh, – he's a starting right tackle. He's been the starting tackle since his freshman year. This will be his senior year, fourth year. But he won't be there this spring because of his shoulder. And I think that Kramer uh, might not be there either. I think he's got a knee problem or had a knee problem. Probably going to uh, give him – I don't think he'll do much this spring. Now, I may be wrong on that, but I think that both Kramer and Polshevsky will be out – of course, they had uh, uh, the one the one guard graduated, so they will have three new linemen maybe out there. They won't be the same linemen that will start the season, but they'll be the ones out there in the spring. And it won't be the first time that that happens in oh, spring no. ball. Well, you Al- don't want to risk guys in right. the spring. Although the offensive line last year was the one <laughs> solid point out from the start of spring ball basically all through the season mm-hmm. as far as guys staying healthy and uh, staying with that rotation. It's been that way for several years. Yep. These same guys. Yep. Spring ball gets underway about the third week of March, and uh, they're going to have the final practice. I think it's April the 18th, which would be a scrimmage, and a lot can happen between now and then, so stay tuned for that. But the practices, spring practices, are not open to the public, but that one on uh, that uh, Saturday in April will be. We'll keep you posted on that. Spring, uh, also, uh, spring football news, pro signing day is coming up, yep. and uh, so a chance for some guys to uh, – Get out in front of some pro scouts who'll be in town. Well, that, that, yeah, that, that's a it's a pro testing day, right? And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how many players they'll have that will. Well, they'll have quite a few because this is a big senior class. We'll have to double check when uh, when spring is over and see just how many seniors they have. But it's in the neighborhood of twenty five right now, and that's double what it's been the last couple of years in terms of seniors that are playing. And these guys, most of these guys have been playing for three and four years. Right. Back to basketball, Lauren made a trip to Chicago last night to watch uh, Adam Miller and Morgan Park beat Tinley Park, 87-44. Earlier in the day, D.J. Stewart from Whitney Young was named the Chicago Sun-Times Player of the Year. I'm told that Adam Miller finished fifth in that voting. Don't understand it. Can't possibly be accurate. He's number 30 with rivals nationally. And uh, he and he and Stewart are the one-two players uh, nationally, uh, both with two-four-seven sports. He's uh, he's around forty-ish, 
in uh, 247, and he's number 30. In, and, and I saw him play last night. He's a terrific player. I mean, he's a, he's a guy that's going to contend for playing time next year. When I say contend, he's going to play next year. I don't know if he's going to start. That depends how good Hutcherson is. That depends on, you know, whether Fraser can bounce back. The, the starting point guard next year will be Corbello, without any doubt. I mean, Underwood's already told us that. I mean, he, he's, he's going to lean to Corbello. And then that means that your wings, you, you're going to have Hutcherson, you're going to have uh, Griffin, you're going to have uh, Fraser, uh, Miller. This is going to be a real battle for the wing positions. Now, we know who the center is going to be because Kofi will be coming back. But the fourth spot, they are looking around the country for a four. They want, they're looking for a transfer. And there's a guy at Yale by the name of, I think his name is McGregor, and I should look that up before I say it, but I think that's his name. And he averaged 17 points a game. He had 14 yesterday as Yale won the, the Ivy League. And, and uh, he's a guy that they could maybe get. They're, they're, they're looking hard. Yeah, he would have two years, right? Well, he would, yes. Yeah. And, but you know what's going to happen here. You've got to be careful to take a guy like this sure. now because you're going to look up in April. This is March. Next month is April. All of a sudden, you're going to look up in April, and every player in the country is, is available. That means that anybody can transfer and be immediately eligible if it goes through. And they think it's going to go through, and Whitman thinks it's going to go through, and Whitman's going to remind Underwood that don't jump too quick here because all of a sudden you're going to look up in another month, and you, you've got a whole free agency happening out there. And, and as, as, uh, as uh, our Jeff Goodman uh, mentioned that number that of transfers that was up around 700 last year, and it was 900 if you count graduate students, is going to be 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 athletes available to you that want to leave where they're at. Right. <laughs> we mentioned uh, DJ Stewart, who is headed to Duke, yep. is the Sun-Times Player of the Year. Here's a trivia question for you. Since 1960, only two players have been the Sun-Times Player of the Year twice. 1960. Since 1960, only two players have earned that honor twice. Mm. One is, I'll tell you one, see if you can guess the other. One is Quinn Buckner. Okay. Okay. The other. Isaiah? Nope. Nope. And uh, this may give you a hint. Since 1960, there have been nine guys who ended up coming to the University of Illinois, mm -hmm. win the Sun-Times Player of the Year. The other person who won it twice is one of those nine. Okay, who is it? Jeremy Richmond. Okay, I would have never guessed that. Yeah. But, I, but I, he was a really good player young. Yeah. And um, I will tell you, I saw Isaiah Thomas play as a junior. To not pick him, there had to be somebody awfully good that year because he just knocked me for a loop when I saw him play as a junior. Yep. And I, I know, he, you know, he was a... He was a great player at Indiana, I and mean, he, he deserved everything he got. He, he, yes. He came back, by the way, for that uh, when Knight was back the other day. He was right there with him. Here's the Illinois guys that have won the Chicago Sun-Times Player of the Year since okay. 1960. That's as far back as I could get. But uh, I mentioned Richmond. Calvin Brock, Jerry G., Deion Thomas, Marcus Liberty, Nick Anderson, Eddie Johnson, Audie Matthews, and Rick Howitt. All were the Sun-Times Player of the Year. Rick Howitt. Yep. Harv Schmidt's guy. Okay. 
10-12 is the time. We'll take a time out. We'll talk some more basketball, Big Ten basketball, some other things as well. Kent Brown will join us after this. We'll keep the phone lines open, 356-9397. Back with more in just a moment. Moving up on 10-16, Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock today, 356-9397 is the number. Happy to welcome to the program Coach Kent Brown is on the line with us. Kent is out coaching, what did you say, a fifth grade girls basketball <laughs> team, Kent? Yes. Yeah, well, we have a little uh, Saturday morning uh, basketball league out here from uh, six-year-olds till sixth grade and so I do my daughter's in fifth grade so I go up and make sure that they substitute right and everybody plays about the equal amount of time it's really (laughs) there's not not much coaching other than to make sure people go in and out the rather when they should well it sounds fun we want to talk to you about a couple of different things uh, one of which is the news that came out uh, late yesterday about Illinois and the Atkins group kind of exploring some options regarding Stone Creek Golf Course in Urbana that was closed in January what can you tell us about that process right now yeah, so you know the information that we can share right now is, is pretty limited. It's it's such a general, you know, the statement we put out yesterday was really a, a way to help quell some of the speculation that's been going on in the in the community, especially the golf community, uh, since uh, Stone Creek closed at the end of January. And you know, as even today, you look out, it's a sunny day, and there's going to be golfers out today. People are starting to get the itch, and um, and so there's been some speculation about what might happen to. To Stone Creek, so we wanted to kind of help quell that, and also uh, let the um, the homeowners in the Stone Creek area know that there's going to be the possibility of some changes, and that uh, don't be uh, uh, freaked out if you know when we have a if they have a meeting. I think they're scheduling to have a meeting here soon to uh, to kind of talk over what the possibilities may be. But uh, the Atkins Group and and uh, Josh Whitman and uh, our administration uh, recently talked a little bit about some possibilities that uh, to to take over that course, and and um, and so you know I think over the next couple of weeks we'll have a lot more information, uh, but it could be uh, could be exciting. Could be good timing with the fact that Stone Creek normally wouldn't uh, have been open yet anyway, and maybe if this can get done, it would be it wouldn't miss much time as far as uh, the time between it closed and it reopening on kind of a regular basis. Well, that and, and as you know, uh, you know, golf courses take an, an enormous amount of maintenance. And um, if if the course were to remain closed for a season, uh, to try to pick that back up um, a year from now to keep that as a golf course, it'd be really difficult. I mean, it would really probably double the cost of trying to, to get it ready. And so, um, if if something was going to happen, it probably need to happen sooner than later so that uh, the the course was in shape to play this summer. So. Um, you know, it, 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 it'd be uh, hopefully, you know, it all it works out, but there's there's be a lot more information coming out probably in the next couple of weeks. Well, Kent, uh, take us out to Savoy and tell us what the relationship is between the, the athletic department and the, and the 36 holes at Savoy. Well, you know, that, that course uh, was built in the late 50s and, and continues to be owned by the University of Illinois. We have a, uh, a management group that uh, oversees the orange and blue course and of course it will stay open um, it's not going to be closed it'll, it'll be open all through the season this year um, and, and so everybody you know who's got memberships and things like that will certainly there's no no change to be standard operating 
uh, procedure out there. But you know, that course has been around for a long, long time. Uh, the difference is it gets a lot of play, and you know our teams, our men's and women's teams, have, uh, even though we don't host a lot of tournaments, and they do have access to, to the country club uh, courses in town as well, have always called, uh, not always, have for several years called uh, the, the uh, Stone Creek course their home course. And, uh, and so this gives, uh, you know, if this all plays out like, like it may, like it could, um, you know, continues that home course there at, uh, at Stone Creek. And it'll be another public course, obviously. Would you see a reciprocal situation between the two, like, like I could be a member at both and play both places if I pay my fee? I think those, I think those are all details that would have to be worked out uh, if Stone Creek opens. And I think probably everything's on the table right now of trying to figure out what uh, what would be the best scenario for everybody. Uh, but again, I think as, as we get down the road, of course, this is moving so fast um, that a lot of the details on things just haven't had a chance to come uh, together yet. And it's kind of like I said at the beginning, the, the reason we, we moved as quickly as we did on this uh, yesterday was those the two things, speculation and then really that, that soon that everybody who lives in that Stone Creek area uh, will be invited to to, to meet and to talk about what the, the future holds there. So I think it was kind of a way to let everybody know, hey, we're going to you know, be as transparent as possible throughout this. If, and so we want uh, feedback and, and the ability to, so everybody knows what's going on. Well, certainly it was good news, uh, not only to the uh, Stone Creek neighborhood, the uh, city of Urbana, the, the golfing community. So it was kind of got me fired up uh, late yesterday afternoon when I heard that. Let's, uh, let's move along to basketball, big weekend and big 10 play. And, we're told that there's 128 possibilities <laughs> for Illinois to be seated in the Big Ten tournament. Did you figure that out? I did not. Uh, you know, I think we had to go over to Blue Waters that computer over on our campus to, to, to figure all the different scenarios. But um, it sure is exciting. You know, um, I think we could still be anywhere between three and seven, and um, and so you know every game that there's that the those top teams play today and tomorrow will determine where it all uh, will all be. And then, of course, we play the very last game against Iowa tomorrow tonight. And that could still, it's going to change probably two or three spots, depending on what happens. So um, it's exciting to be a part of it. It's too bad that, uh, you know, we just couldn't make some shots the other night at Ohio State. Uh, to have four teams go in the last weekend with a chance to get a share of the title would have been really cool. Three is exciting enough. But from Illinois' standpoint, um, there's still a lot on the line trying to get that double bye on Friday. Uh, and uh, bypass the extra game on Thursday. Kent, uh, we're seeing a lot of things happen relative to the uh, con- uh, con- the virus situation, and I see that the the studio group, uh, which I assume is Revson and his people, will not be going to Indianapolis. Um, they're going to be, I guess, Fox has advised them to stay home. Uh, are you? Um, I know the basketball season's over after tomorrow, as far as you're concerned. Here. Uh, is, is there anything along those lines, or any kind of memos, any kind of instructions that you're getting relative to the possibility of having events here without fans? Well, I will tell you that um, our department is working very closely with campus, and the campus is also working very closely with the local health department and officials to determine um, what the best measures are. And um, you know, things have been changing daily on this. It's been it's been uh, a lot of fast movement, and um, I think that uh, on our campus, uh, the plan is to, you know, after the game tomorrow, 
um, there really isn't a large-scale, um, certainly not a large-scale sporting event scheduled uh, indoors on campus. We have some uh, maybe gymnastics and things like that that don't draw 15,000. Um, but we're continuing to monitor it. We'll follow the lead. The policy on campus, you know, our campus is very um, well-versed in handling uh, infectious diseases. We had the measles outbreak a year ago. We've had meningitis on this campus. Uh, they certainly have plans in place, and there there are several committees who are working, uh, meeting regularly and monitoring what's going on, uh, so that so that everybody makes the best, most informed decision. Right now, there are no plans uh, to uh, change uh, any of our home sporting events, but of course that could all change if if the circumstances change. So uh, right now, we're planning on going to Indianapolis next week to play basketball. Um, you know, we'll, and, and I know that the officials there are, are monitoring this as well and making changes as, as necessary. So it's something we're all watching. Um, but, um, you know, I think on our, in our end, it's getting through tomorrow night's game being really the last major, uh, fan event. When I say major, you know, with several thousand fans at one spot. Visiting with Kent Brown, another couple of minutes. And speaking of the game tomorrow night, should be a great atmosphere. Sold out, last game on the Big Ten regular season. Illinois, Iowa, a little revenge factor there for Illinois. And it's senior night. Yeah, you know, we've got four seniors and uh, that'll be have a chance to go out. You know, we also have a uh, our team uh, orthopedic uh, doctor who has been with us for 36 years uh, prior to the Rose Bowl in 1983-84. Uh, Dr. Robert Gertler is retiring, and so we'll have a chance to recognize him as well. Well, now, you uh, say he's retiring, but you don't mean he's retiring from the practice, do you? You just mean he's retiring uh, from... Yeah, he'll be, he's retiring. No, he's retiring from practice. He'll oh. be uh, this, this spring or summer. I don't know exactly when that's going to be. That's up to the folks at Carl, whatever he's worked out. But, yeah, this, uh, he's, he's retiring from, uh, from our role, and then also, I think, my understanding, the, at Carl. Well, I've sat next to him for lunch the other night at the game, and I think he said he had six surgeries coming up <laughs> immediately. So. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he'll keep working until until he probably goes. He's he's uh he has been a, a great asset to our department and to the community um, in 36 years. He has helped put back together a lot, a lot of people, and including myself. I had knee surgery with him in 1984 when I was a, a undergrad student and uh, you know he had no idea who I was and, and uh, you know here we are we've had a relationship for about 30 years since since I've been working in athletics yeah. he's so, been inside uh, my body he's uh, <laughs> he's installed some hardware in my shoulder as well yeah we're all yeah, no doubt about it put some titanium in there what's uh new football wise you got a, a protesting day coming up and then uh, spring practice not too far down the road yeah, so for spring practice starts on the 23rd, which is the Monday uh, right after spring break. Um, and then, uh, this, as you mentioned, Pro Timing Day on Monday morning. Um, we don't have a huge group of seniors. You know, as you know, if you watch our senior day last year, there weren't very many that went through that. Uh, so I think we have around 10 or 11 uh, participants that will be there. But none of our players attended the uh, NFL Combine. So that means that for scouts uh, to see some of these guys who are – uh, potential late round and and free agent signings. This is the only chance they get a chance, uh, to, to see them and time them and and talk to them. So 
we'll probably have just about every team here. We don't really know until uh, till the event, you know, who all is going to show up. But traditionally, we have between 27 and 30, 31 uh, football teams in attendance and uh, all different levels. We've had head coaches. We've had GMs. We've had just scouting uh, scouts. And so uh, there are probably a couple of intriguing guys on our team, and, and so this is their chance. They've been, uh, since the end of the season in the Red Box Bowl, most of them started their training session like the very next day or very next couple of days in preparation for this day. And um, it's really important for all those those outgoing seniors. And so, well, does, um, does this have to be seniors because you might have a junior that that was going to turn if pro? There's a, if, there, if there's a junior who's like uh, 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 Batuco, you know, he uh, Wale, he he would be eligible to be in this as an underclassman eligibility wise who uh, declared to go pro, he could be participating as well. Hey, Ken, we appreciate your time. We'll see you tomorrow at State Farm Center. Yeah, let's get on uh, 4 o'clock. Or, uh, the uh, game starts at 6. We'll have our senior day stuff at about 20 till, I'd say about 5.40. So hopefully our fans show up in, in early for that. And I don't think it takes our fans uh, very much to get fired up to play <laughs> Iowa. And, um, and so I'm expecting a pretty electric crowd tomorrow night. It should be a lot of fun, and there's a lot on the line. And so we, we're going to need everybody, uh, everybody's support and, and their lung power tomorrow night. No doubt about it. It should be a really fun time. Well, you were probably coaching when we talked about this earlier this morning. About Lauren asked me right before we started the show who I thought the current – arch rival for Illinois basketball is, and I've responded right away with Iowa. Of course, in years past, you probably would have said Indiana. How, how are you feeling about it? <laughs> well, those two are at the top of the list, aren't they? Yes, they uh, are. And they've been that way for a long, long time, and um, um, we've had some great in Purdue's in that, in that mm-hmm. conversation as well, I think. Uh, the, the proximity to all three of those schools and the success that uh, the schools have had over decades and the competition against each, against each other, uh, but there is something a little special about Iowa, and that, I'm sure you know a lot of our fans remember, you know, can trace that back to the uh, to the early '90s and uh, even before that. I mean, it's just always been a very uh, tough game, and and um, it'll be. I know they've got a lot on the line too. You know, yeah. both, everybody who's playing in the Big Ten, <laughs> there's a lot at stake this weekend, and uh, that's the great thing about the the way the conference is set up, and especially this year when it's such a competitive group from top to bottom and and um but yeah no it's the iowa brings out the the best in our fans there's never been a doubt about it hey ken thanks we appreciate it you guys have a good one we'll talk to you later you bet that's ken brown associate athletic director in charge of media relations for the uh, university of illinois at 10 30 let's go to the phones the phone line is open by the way three five six nine three nine seven cindy is on the air with us go ahead cindy Hi, I just heard you talking about Robert Gertler, and um, I am one of his surgeries <laughs> that's coming up this, okay. this next week. So I, I, he is um, uh, retiring from practice too. So we are trying to find another. You know, it's hard to find an equal. You can't find an equal for Dr. Gertler. So that's my insight. Is that yes? I've been told uh, that he is retiring at the end of the month, and we have to find a new surgeon. But um, so that. Maybe you guys can help me convince to not not retire. <laughs> well, well, we'll see him tomorrow. We'll see what he has to say about that. Uh, he's uh, become a good personal friend of mine as well over the years. We used to, Lauren and I and Dr. Gertler used to have 
uh, breakfast on football game day Saturdays on the road. On the road, yeah. We would, uh, and he quit traveling. Right. He quit traveling a few years ago, but I always look forward to that. But uh, Cindy, we well, appreciate he's a great the great surgeon. Yes, sure. That's that's my scoop. Okay, okay. well, thanks. We appreciate <laughs> thanks. that. It is sure. at bye bye. Yep, ten thirty two right now. We'll take a break and be back with more. It's Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Ten thirty-five, and I fellow Saturday sports talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, with you until eleven. Let's go to the phones. Lance in Newman, Illinois, has been hanging on. Hey, Lance, go ahead. Good morning, guys. Um, just wanted to call. You were talking about Pro Timing Day coming up. Not sure if a lot of people are aware, but uh, Reggie Corbin is doing something with his Pro Timing Day, where he's taking pledges for every rep he does on the bench press, and it's um, all the funds are going to go to the. Um, Cerebral Palsy Foundation. He's um, developed quite the relationship with uh, Colton Ron out of Tuscola, coached their flight football team and all that. And so Reggie's decided to do that during his pro timing day, which I think is a, a great cause and just kind of shows what a, a great guy Reggie is. Good stuff. Thanks for pointing that out, Lance. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good day. Scott Ritchie is with us here in the uh, studio on his way to uh, do some pregame interviews for Illinois basketball, media availability today for head coach Brad Underwood and the players. How you doing, uh, Mr. Ritchie? Good. It's kind of hard to believe we're in the final weekend of the regular season. And also very easy to believe because I've been covering basketball since October, essentially. It, well, on one hand, it seems like a long time ago, but on the other, it just goes by pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think this season has just been crazier than any I can remember in recent uh in the recent history, so uh, it's been an interesting one to cover. We're when not going to. When do you complete your poll? When's your last poll for top twenty-five? Top twenty-five, yeah. Um, well, there's another one that comes out Monday, and then I think there's one more after, maybe two more, maybe after the conference tournaments, and then again at the very end of the year. Oh, oh, you you do one at the end of the year, okay? Yeah. Okay. So there's a few more left, but uh, a more pressing matter is. Getting my all Big Ten ballots filled out by Sunday oh afternoon. Oh, boy, let's put him on the spot. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It's easy to come up with 15 players, okay, if you're going to pick a first, second, sure, third team. Yeah. But after, after that, trying to pick it's the first five. It's easy to come up is, with seven, I think. Yeah, you're right, seven. Um, Who's the two you're knocking out? That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, uh, I haven't gotten that far yet. I, I know that Luca Garza will be on my first team, mm-hmm. and Jalen Smith will be on my first team. Mm-hmm. And then Iota Sumo will be on my first team. Okay. After that, I don't know. So you're knocking out either a Cassius Winston or a Anthony Cowan, perhaps, if you put Io on there. Maybe. Or I could just go with three guards because yeah, I could. think those two yeah. that you Rod mentioned Stevens. are. Uh, I mean, he'd be the one, I guess, or one that I could consider. But, I mean, his numbers aren't as good as last year, which is partly just because he hasn't, hasn't had to do as much for Penn State. Um, but – you know, and Penn State also is not exactly ending the season on a particularly high note, and that that matters too. I mean, they've lost what four or five, and I mean they'll probably get a win. And I think they play today against Northwestern, so you can probably pencil that in. But yeah. um, maybe he drops to the second team, which I, I don't know that I would have considered before the year started. But 
It's on the table. All that is interesting stuff, but not as interesting in my mind as the the Big Ten race (laughs) and the seeding situations. We don't have time for you to go through all 128 uh, possibilities. I I couldn't do it either. (laughs) I'll just put that out there. But Illinois could be anywhere from three to seven. A win would uh, put them at least fourth. Fourth, I kind of like the way that looks as far as the way the brackets shape up. Yeah. No, I mean, if I was going to pick a seed that that would be the one i think i would want illinois in um but just that there are 128 combinations still with seven games to play uh in the regular season is kind of kind of wild like i'm i don't know that i mean maybe this will just be the big 10 moving forward but i don't know that you know this type of season we'll, we'll see again and it'll lead off to an interesting week next week in indianapolis as well. Richard is on the line with us from Tuscola. Go ahead, Richard. Hey, Steve, Lauren. Uh, first question, does uh, the Illini sports program have a psychologist? Does it? Is that what your question is? Yeah. Yes. Not one on staff that I can think of, but I'm sure <laughs> that they, they have maybe you know, people they can they can send their athletes to, but I don't know if there's one. I know there. where you're going with this, Richard, <laughs> but go ahead. Do you? Tell me. Let's see how clairvoyant you are. I'm saying you're, you're talking about the struggles that Georgie has been having. Or, or the struggles with no, Fraser. Not, not Georgie. I, uh, Georgie, you know, I'll tell you, Iowa is undoubtedly the team leader. And I was listening to the game down in Tennessee. I'm a, I'm a commercial driver. And when he started hot-dogging in the first half, what do you have, 18 points the first half? 14. 14. I I was a bit crestfallen. Um, when a guy brings attention to himself, uh, then the other guys on the team, he's separating himself from the team mentality, in my opinion. I, I played organized sports in the 60s, and if a guy made a good tackle behind the line, his teammates swatted him on the butt. He, he didn't dance around, and we celebrated success at the end of the game as a team. And I, I thought that, you know. Richard, you're old-fashioned. You're old-fashioned, Richard. I know, Warren. I know, <laughs> But I just, I was so hoping that they were going to pull that game out. And I I just was a bit crestfallen. Yeah, they had a, a, a good lead at half, but it evaporated. And he had a, uh, I had a pretty poor second half. There were key shots that he missed. They double teamed him in the second half, so I I don't think you can put put anything on Iowa. And as far as hot dogging, I you can't you can't include Iowa with that uh, in that sentence, in my opinion. Everybody okay. everybody celebrates, and you know he sure. took he took the game over during that stretch. He's your best player. Well, and he had to because yes. Kofi Coburn was on the bench. Uh, I mean, to a lesser extent, so was Georgie. But if Iowa doesn't score fourteen points in the first half, Illinois is down. Who knows how many, and the second half doesn't matter. Right. Sure, sure. I just would like to see maturity from my perspective that let's wait till the game is over because we still have a half work to do. And It was very disappointing that we lost there. Well, they, they have a chance to bounce back tomorrow. Richard, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Okay. Scott, real Thank quick, you. I know you need, to, you need to run, but uh, what are you expecting tomorrow night? Uh, I... Well, my predictions, I think, I think part of our coverage area already has it, and it'll be in you know, Sunday's News Gazette for everybody, but I picked Iowa. 
And I think you know, just this Iowa team has certainly given Illinois trouble over the last couple of years, and they can do what Ohio State did uh, on Thursday and you know pull Kofi Coburn away from the basket you know, with Luka Garza. They've got shooters, and even though Ohio State didn't shoot the ball particularly well, Iowa has the same type of shooters, and then if they make shots, and they've got you know Garza and Ryan Kreener and guys that can rebound, and I think that the formula was there for Iowa if they can pull it off like Ohio State did. And but Illinois will get shots. They will get shots. I'm not saying they'll make shots. Sure. But they I, will get shots against Iowa. They always do. Yeah, and they've gotten shots consistently throughout the season, but there have been more games where the narrative after the game was, well, shots just didn't fall. It was like, well, maybe that just means we're not very good. Not shooters. a very good shooting team. That's right. Scott, thanks. We'll let you get, get on your way there. All right, thanks, guys. That's Scott Ritchie. Brad Underwood with a pregame press conference coming up at 11 o'clock, and the players available to chat as well. So Scott's heading that way, and we'll watch for his coverage in uh, the Sunday News Gazette and then throughout the, the ball game at newsgazette.com as well. 10.44, we'll take a break and be back with more right here. Stay with us. Fellow Saturday Sports Talk rolling on at 10:46 with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. By the way, the um, the over under on whether or not you would be at that 2032 Illinois Missouri football game is now three people taking the over. <laughs> How many took the under? Though? Nobody. Nobody has <laughs> reported to me yet. I'm, that's an well, unofficial t- official I'll, tally. How about I take the under? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go with the over. Majority rules. You're a Hall of Famer, and uh-huh. uh, speaking of Hall of Famers, we've got uh, one on the line with us, former Illinois baseball coach Itch Jones is with us. Good morning, Coach. How you doing? Fine. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Uh, congratulations to you. You're getting like Lou Henson, where you're going to need a Hall of Fame room for all your Hall of Fame trophies. But uh, in seriousness, congratulations on yesterday's induction into the Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame. Uh, tell me your thoughts and uh, how you're feeling about that. Well, it was a great, it was a great honor to uh, receive from the Missouri Valley Conference uh, for the success we had back in baseball at uh, Southern Illinois Uni- University, basically in the 70s, and that uh, the Valley did a very good job of, uh, of putting on their program that morning. Well, you know, when you get a Lifetime Achievement Award, you know what that means? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that means the end of your life. Or <laughs> no, it just means you've been around a while. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that means you're getting closer to the end of your life. Well, but you you haven't caught up with Lauren yet. <laughs> well, <he's, laughs> I, I'm running a close race, though. <laughs> well, it's tell me about your your days at uh, Southern. What was the secret to your success there in baseball? Would you have two teams in the in the uh, World Series? We had three teams in a three World teams. Series. Okay. I was there. 71, 74, and 77, and then Lou or uh, Joe Lutz had teams there in uh, 68 and 69. So there was a period of about nine years that Southern Illinois University was in the College World Series in Omaha five five times. Joe finished second one year. I finished second and uh, two thirds. If it hadn't been for Dato in Southern California with all the talent he had, we probably would have won it. 
Well, what was again? What was the, what was the secret to all that success? I mean, you you had to be drawing some really good players. Where were most of your players coming from, and what what was uh, what was behind this great uh, run? Well, I don't know. I think the players we got were dedicated young men who wanted to uh, play college baseball and uh, get involved in professional baseball. And at that time, we were able to put out a number of players that were getting drafted uh, consistently. In fact. But one of my former players told me the other day when I was talking to him, the 1977 team, by the time they were seniors and the guys were freshmen, they said 18 of those guys signed professionally that was on that roster that went to Omaha in, in 77. Uh, we had 100 and some odd kids drafted and uh, that, and I think that's what brings kids in. When you're getting kids drafted in your program, then when you go out and try to recruit, you're able, you're more visible, and you can bring players in, and it makes it a lot easier. Was there a big advantage being that far south as opposed to uh, in Champaign? I mean, is it easier to recruit to uh, maybe uh, further south than Champaign? Well, I think the game's changed, Lauren, and the fact that now everybody has big fancy stadiums. And back in those days, we didn't have a fancy stadium, but we probably drew. Uh, as many fans as anyone in the country at that time. We'd have 2,000, 3,000 people at a baseball game, and there weren't many schools drawing like that. And I was talking to Dewey Calmer, the former Bradley coach, yesterday at the Hall of Fame banquet, and he said, you know, he said uh, the, the teams were tough and good at that time. He said, but you guys just had an advantage down there because you had so many kids that were signing professionals. We're talking uh, baseball for a few more minutes with Itch Jones. Who was your Major League Baseball favorite team growing up, and is it uh, still the same team today? Well, today it's the team that lets me in free. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all well, of them. I was going to say, that's about 30 of them. <laughs> that, that's right. So if I go to a Cub-Cardinal game, I really get I get rasped on one side or the other. One, if I'm over sitting with one group, they chew me out. And if I go over to the other side, they're, they're complaining. So I try to stay somewhere in the middle. No, but was growing up as a kid, I was probably not a Cardinal fan because everybody in the area was a Cardinal fan. I guess I was kind of a renegade. And I was kind of a more of a, a Brooklyn fan, but I can't say that I was ever a big fan of uh, any major league team. I want to ask you about sign stealing. What's your... Uh... What's your reaction to what happened with the Astros, and what's the best, uh, what's the best uh, job of sign stealing you ever did legally? Well, legally, we were always legal. Uh, <laughs> we didn't we didn't have those high park cameras in center field. Right. First of all, uh, th that's taking advantage of the game. It's like throwing batting practice. If you're throwing batting practice, to a kid, and you're throwing straight fastballs down the middle, and he's hitting them and hitting them, and then suddenly you throw him a curveball, he looks at you like, whoa, whoa what are you doing? Yeah, and uh, and that I mean that's just the, the way it is, and I think those pitchers were at a big disadvantage in that situation. Plus, it also made the catcher, the manager, and the coaches look bad. When I was coaching, there were teams that we picked up. We played University of Michigan one year when Freehand was there, and we knew every pitch that they were going to throw. How did you know? By the reaction of the catcher. Okay. If the catcher, if in that day that that catcher, I'm not saying he always that catcher, if he gave a breaking ball, 
then he moves up towards the plate. Is that He'd right? Jump up towards the plate because the breaking ball is going to go down. If it was a fastball, he would just sit there and he wouldn't move. So we were able to tell fastball from the curveball. We played another team up north in Illinois that uh, the coach gave the signs from the he gave himself and if he held his clipboard a certain way uh, it was a fastball if he turned it another way it was a curveball we beat Dennis the only loss that Dennis had when he was at Evansville Indiana we knew every sign from from pitch one and we we barely beat him and that same year he went out and beat Arizona State one to nothing in the regional, and they knew every pitch. That's how good it <laughs> could was. You couldn't hit him anyway if you knew what was coming, huh? Couldn't hit him, and we knew what was coming. <laughs> and uh, we, we, could, we could not hit him. We finally won the game, but it was an accident that we won. And he actually beat uh, Arizona State the year they won the national title. He beat them one to nothing in the first game, and as they knew what pitches were coming. Darren Fletcher told us, told Lauren, I mean, not too long ago about when he, as a major league catcher, would give the, the signs. Then he'd look around. He was paranoid. He'd look around to wonder who else got the sign. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to be well, paranoid know, got, back there. That's right. A, a, a person once told me this when I was a young kid. He said, if the pitcher throws a fastball and the hitter's all over it, just gets a good rip and fouls it off. And then he comes back with a curve or a changeup, and he's on those pitches. He says, and you better be knowledgeable of the fact that somewhere, somehow, someone's getting your signs. Well, I, I, once with a, I once played with a shortstop from uh, Eastern Illinois, and every time my catcher would call for a curveball to a right-handed hitter, the shortstop, he, it, he would he move. Right. I said, stand still. Sure. Don't be moving. They know <laughs> if you move, they know I'm throwing a curveball, right? I mean, yeah. it was pretty yeah. obvious. You're right. No, that's how we picked them up off of uh, other teams. Uh, there were players that would move in that situation. And that and uh, one, one team put their fist behind their back. And so if they put their fist behind their back, it was a fastball. If they opened their hand up, it was a curveball. Oh, man. And we just have guys lean on the fence down in the uh, left or whatever line we were on. Our guys would sit there, and if there'd be five or six pitchers, and if the guy – looked down, the on-deck hitter looked down and saw the guy, somebody leaning on the fence, then he knew that meant it was one pitch. If no one was leaning on the pitch, it meant uh, <laughs> the other pitch. Hey, it's just... And it was always the on-deck the on deck hitter is the one that relayed him to the pitcher. We didn't have a garbage can to hit. <laughs> this is fascinating stuff. Uh, we'll do it again sometime when we have more time, but I uh, wanted to say congratulations on the Missouri Valley Conference Hall of Fame induction and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. Um, I look forward to getting back home. Congratulations, Itch. We, we owe you lunch. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. <laughs> it's Jones with us. 10.55. Need to take one final break, and we'll do that and be back with some final words after this. We're about 90 seconds away from the end of the program. Don't forget Illinois baseball on the air this afternoon, 1 o'clock, for that uh, game down in Elon, uh, North Carolina. Illinois and the Elon team. They'll play again tomorrow. Big Ten basketball today. Wisconsin at Indiana. Who you got? Wisconsin at Indiana. I think Indiana will break Wisconsin's. I'm only just saying this because the home court. Wisconsin's been hitting threes like crazy, and I don't know if they can keep that up, but if they can, they'll go a long way. Rutgers at Purdue. We got about a minute left. Rutgers at Purdue. 
I'll take Purdue at home. I just keep picking the home team, although the home team didn't doesn't necessarily work at this time of year. You're going to pick the road team on this one, Penn State at Northwestern? Yep. Tomorrow, Michigan at Maryland. Oh, man, we need Michigan to win that game somehow. Yep. Nebraska at Minnesota, we don't care. Um, Ohio somehow, St- I don't think they will, but somehow. <laughs> yep, Ohio State, Michigan State. Ohio State, I, I got to go with Michigan State, they're home. I do too. Then Illinois and Iowa wraps it up tomorrow night at 6. Mr. Tate, appreciate your time. All right, talk to you later. Thanks to Gary Dolphin, Jeff Goodman, Dan Hartlib, Kent Brown, Scott Ritchie, and It's Jones, our guest today on the program. Thanks to Blake Landa for his help as well. On WDWS Champaign-Urbana, this is Steve Kelly. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon right here. Have a good weekend, everybody.